Earlier today at 3.21 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on September 22nd, 2021, summer became fall. And Patrick, Michael, and myself, Jesse, crawled out from underneath our warm rocks to leave our hibernation. And come into hockey season, we're going to dip our tools into the pool tonight, get you back into the penguin swing of things, get prepared for training camp, and uh, let's dip our toes in the water. It's the uh, post-hibernation post episode of Dying Alive. Gentlemen, I, I want to start by saying, Jesse Marshall here of theathletic.com, I hope you had a great summer. I hope you did too, Jesse. It seems like it's been a lot of fun for you starting off dad life. Fun's, fun's a word. You're talking to a dad who has been up since basically 1 a.m. last night. Same here, only I'm not a dad. <laughs> yeah, you've had a lot less poop that you've had to deal with, I hope, in the time that you've been <laughs> awake than I have. I hope. Other things may have gone on that I'm not aware of. <laughs> I don't know how young the kids you're coaching this year are. <laughs> it may be still in diapers. Michael, you you were all over the place taking pictures this summer. You were, you were, the, you were at Oakmont. It was uh, it was a busy summer. Um, we we did the summer basketball league. We did I did um, covering the U.S. Amateur at Oakmont was a very surreal experience. I walked fifty miles in six days. That was fun. Is that a lot? Um, yeah, uh, all while carrying roughly thirty five pounds worth of gear. So yeah, you know how many miles I've walked since April? <laughs> Less than fifty. Oh, dude, it's point one. Uh, yeah, that was good. Um, got away to the beach. It was a good summer. And now That's it's fall. Good. And now it's fall. It's officially fall. So you can get your pumpkins out, get your, your decor straight, you know, if you want to put a little wicker bread. I, I had a, uh, a very door. good pumpkin and cream cold brew this morning. It feels like hockey was nine years ago. It really does. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it, And I think it particularly feels that way because – the Penguins' um, postseason was very short once again. I, I like I personally, I kind of tuned out the playoffs after they lost. I think you had like the fifty-six games, which was short in and of itself. So you didn't have. I mean, you were thirty games less than usual right out of the gate, right? Yeah, quick, quick but, season, quick postseason. And like I said, I didn't care about things after that. And then it was since then, and, and even in general since. When did the season end? Late June, early July. Yeah, it was early July, even, like, if I recall. Even even since then, it feels like it's been a long time since then. Yeah, it does. Well, it's si- similar back. similar to like what Jesse was saying about the short season. Like the off season was so condensed that like everything happened in the matter of like a week, and then everybody went away. There were bursts of energy. Like there were there were bursts of activity that were limited to like short windows. They were fun, but they were, you know, they weren't all encompassing. I mean, you obviously had like the Seattle situation, which was agonizing. I don't ever want to do another expansion draft again. I think my least favorite part of sports, hockey, whatever it is, football, soccer, I don't care, is speculation, like unabated speculation that lingers for an indeterminate period of time. 
that is what the expansion draft is unabated non-stop speculation and agonizing over the decision-making process for weeks and months at a time uh for what like a draft that takes all of like you know five minutes yeah no i get that because it, it it bothers me when there's all this speculation and it's like well if we just wait five days they're gonna tell us we don't have to do all this and but then Fra- and I then that's the world I, I but i realize that's the world we live in and then so and, and then frank saravalli comes in an hour before the expansion draft and just torpedoes the Drop entire off. thing <laughs> 30 I mean, and 31 I, you know, honestly, though, before like, the draft. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I guess like, I, I guess we had spent so much time analyzing it and discussing it and leading up to it that I kind of was like excited about watching it live, you know, like, and, and I think it would have been like almost cooler for Twitter to like be able to, you know, parse apart decisions in that manner. But I wasn't mad that it came out early either. Like it was whatever. Like it didn't bother the, me. The biggest, the biggest. Frank, disab- I was, I was. I can't speech. believe. I Frank, really didn't like, care. how do you think Frank pulled that off? You know, like, did that come out of Seattle? You think? Did Frank like have a guy in Seattle? I mean, like, or a guy could have been any person. Let me just be clear. I mean, he's on. He's like, untethered from the rights holders now. Like, he's not with ESPN, TNT, or Sportsnet, or TSN. So, you know, those guys obviously because they were carrying it wouldn't have wanted that because they wanted to get the ratings. So now, like, he can just do... Whereas Frank's just, like, president of the Professional Hockey Writers Association. <laughs> it's like, let's do whatever I want. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that was the other thing. You know, I I think I tuned out after, like, round six because it, it just... It, it was a dud. And it had nothing to do with already knowing who was getting picked. It was a dud because it just wasn't a production. The Vegas one because it was new and it had been a good while since there'd been expansion. It had that novelty of, we haven't done this in so long. Seattle had the chance to put on a show and they just didn't. It was boring. I saw a tweet tonight from Marissa and Jimmy who covers the Kraken now, um, and is going to be writing for them out there, uh, which is a great get for that city, by the way. Uh, Brandon Tanev, uh, one of the top selling jerseys so far. I think he was in the top four. I don't know that she listed them like in order, uh, but the the old Tanev jersey there was the top seller for Seattle already. I think when I go back, Pat, like we and we talked about this too, Mike. Uh, Mike, like you mentioned it too, like don't discount, you know, how much Brandon Tanev's antics, you know, just in terms of him screaming at people and you know the sheriff meme, you know that that stuff sells. You know, if people are hockey cognizant in Seattle, they know who Brandon Tanev is probably because they saw that meme last year. So I'm not shocked by that information that that he's you know one of the best selling jerseys up there at this point. I, that, yeah, that yeah, and I mean, and, and I'm I'm sure they picked him for hockey related reasons, but there's also business decisions to be made, and it's like we can take this guy who fans are going to like, or we can take this guy that fans don't know. Yeah, there's always that element when you're starting a new franchise, and. They also have the double-edged sword of how well Vegas did right out of the gate, so the expectations are going to be through the roof. But at the same time, you have to get somebody to market because, especially for Vegas, you know, as we've seen, they can support a franchise. There's, there's a lot of really good fans there, and I think it's going to be the same for Seattle because they've had the Thunderbirds, and obviously they've they won't. Oh no question! They, they, no question. 
dude, look at look at like they have the twelfth man right for the Seahawks. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The Seahawks, uh, the Sounders have an unbelievable following up there. It's a great sports people, city. People, people still talk. People still talk about bringing the Sonics back. Yeah, it's a it's a great sports city. So I don't think they're gonna have any troubles there. But I think the other thirty one GMs got wise to how to handle themselves ahead of the expansion draft. So there wasn't going to be as much wheeling and dealing. There wasn't going to be, you know, we'll give you this guy so you don't take that guy kind of moves. So Seattle was going to be handcuffed by that as it was. And as much as their roster is unimpressive, they have the most valuable asset, and that's cap space. So if they can stay in the hunt in a pretty bad Pacific division, come the trade deadline, they'll be able to make some moves. Really sort of like this shocking lack of movement from Ron Francis, which I guess surprised me because there are a lot of stupid general managers who do dumb things to ensure that, you know, there's guaranteed outcomes with these types of, you know, whether, you know, the expansion draft or whatever it is. Um, I was kind of shocked that he stood as pat as he did. Um, You know, I, I would have I would have thought he would be in there, you know, trying to take advantage of people right out of the gate. Yeah, I also like I said though, I think a lot of GMs the 30, not 31 because as I forgot their Vegas was exempt from this one. Uh they they had their guard up because so many teams got fleeced by Vegas that you know, there was going to be high asking prices and just ridiculous offers that Francis smartly backed away from and said, "You know what? I'm going to get Two or three players, I'll sign somebody uh, as a UFA, and from there, I'm just going to utilize and weaponize the cap space I have from not drafting a team that's up to the cap, the the upper limit of the cap. Well, yeah, if you, and if you go back to the Vegas draft, I think all the general managers who did make side deals thought they were playing 3D chess, like Florida, for example. It's like, oh, we're going to dump this guy and make them take this guy, and then they both ended up being like 60-point players in their first season in Vegas. They still got a good team, though. Uh, yeah, a lot of the projections yeah. that uh, have run, you know, just early returns on war and points projections and stuff like that, um, have that team winning that division and, you know, pushing north of the high 90s in points. So, they'll be competitive for uh, sure. I don't I don't have any doubts yeah. they'll be competitive. I just it's not I don't think it's going to be another Vegas situation, which we can clip this and send it in June. Oh, uh, well, Pat, so much of that, too, was like lightning striking in the right places as far as shooting percentages and you know, and, and also not even just in their first season but moving forward they they very clearly have the backing of ownership to quote unquote go for it whether it be big trades big free agency signings they have been they have had their hand in everything yeah they have a lot of uh, ability to be fluid as they move forward for sure uh from a pittsburgh perspective mostly bad news in the offseason real let's be realistic uh, Evgeny Malkin uh, is recovering. Uh, he'll be back. Um, probably, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how this shakes out between he and Crosby and who comes back first. Um, Crosby looking at, you know, six week recovery time for wrist surgery. Tell you what, guys, a lot of doctors on Twitter. <laughs> oh, a lot of doctors on Twitter. My MDs? question is if so many people on Twitter knew, you know, like, that this was an issue and that should have been like, how, why didn't you speak up? You should have contacted the team and told them that you knew he had a wrist injury. 
Yeah, and that something should have been done about it. I don't know why you sat on that information for so yeah, long. Yeah, please, please share with the Penguins your one simple trick to make sure that Crosby was ready. <laughs> yeah, you, you said that, Pat, like it was clickbait. Like one, ten things that get Sidney Crosby healthy. You're not going to believe number six. NHL doctors hate him. <laughs> uh, number two is do surgery earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, on a, on a serious note about that, though, like, um, I can't remember if it was on Twitter or if it was somewhere else, but I, the thing with with certain wrist injuries outside of outright breaking your wrist, they're so hard to gauge. Like, it's to the point where, you know, you can make the Mighty Ducks joke of, I woke up and the pain was gone and he rotates his wrist, but that's really how a lot of wrist injuries are. One day you wake up and you've got full motion in it. The next day you wake up and you can barely move your arms. So I'm sure he was trying to rehab it as best he could without surgery. And it just got to the point where it was the point of no return and he had to get surgery. But you you raise a really like important point there, I think, Pat, in that like these types of issues can almost be like flipped like a light switch. And it, it for me, I thought the important point was that it coincided, Pat, with the point where he really was probably starting to fire him, you know, and he was starting to rip pucks, work on his like his training probably was ramped up, and I would yeah, like shocked went when went, went from out of nowhere, con- yeah, kind of went from conditioning to on ice, really getting ready. Yeah, I mean the guy shoots at a, I mean, he spent half his life firing pucks at a washer, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't you're going to tell me he doesn't have an artificial surface in his basement that he can go down there and, you know, do whatever he needs to do. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just – I wouldn't be shocked if it if it was a circumstance that just sort of appeared, right, or, or popped up um, it, and re-manifested itself. And, and, you know, maybe, you know, to, maybe to your point, they were working on it. Maybe, it, maybe rehab was happening and, you know, there was an attempt to, you know, get him back on track and it just didn't work. You know, I think they, they probably – that's that's the downside of something like that, you know, is is that if it doesn't work, you're left with a late surgery, right? But but you you obviously are trying to avoid that surgery at all costs. Um, we're we're not going to know, but you know you got to trust that the. But you you could always speculate on what the penguins knew and when they knew it. We all know how much I love speculation. Mike Mike putting the penguins on a congressional hearing. <laughs> what yeah. did Crosby know and when did he know it, Senator? You can't handle the truth. So, uh, with that being said, uh, the Penguins will be looking at first-line Jeff Carter. That's how we're going to roll uh, into the season here. Um, I guess I guess that's like a good question for you guys: is like, what's a reasonable expectation for Jeff Carter this year? Like, the competition just got harder for him, right? Like, no um, more third-line deployment. But I think, like, even if. <sighs> I don't want to make it sound like I'm trashing Jeff Carter here, but like, would it have been unreasonable to say like, I don't know that he would have gone on that kind of tear like right out of the gate this year, no matter what, you know, I mean, that was, there was a lot packed into his time here and uh, the numbers were good. Um, I think his shooting percentage is even better. I just don't know that, you know, I think there's a middle ground here is what I'm saying. You know, I don't want to, the hype around Jeff Carter is real. Um, not saying it's unwarranted. I just wonder where where we're going to land here. I mean, we saw it. We, yeah, no, that's go ahead, Mike. I was going to say I don't want to flash back to the off season we were just on, but to 
kind of tie that in with the Crosby stuff we just mentioned. Do you think if we knew they were going to have the issues they had, they would have approached the Jared McCann and the expansion draft situation differently? No, because I still think that was more of a long-term impact type of a, you know, the McCann thing's so confusing. Um, I just think that it was more like, I want to say that it was about trying to get something for a player that you're probably not going to be able to re-sign in the future. Yeah. Now, yeah. at the same time, though, he, Mike, he had, that he had, I mean, he was. Them. It doesn't mean. I was going to say he kind of played himself out of town last year. But his contract wasn't up. I think it was. It was also cap maneuver maneuvering because. Sure. We'll look at the situation there and now, Pat. Right, but but you figured. Okay, if if we expose both McCann and Tanev, they're going to take Tanev or they're going to take McCann. So you ship McCann to Toronto, get a couple assets back. They take McCann from Toronto and then they take Tanev from Pittsburgh and it opens up some space, not a whole lot just because that's what former GM Rutherford left them, left them in. So it, it was more to me an opportunity to open up cap space and, get at least something back for one of these two players and get a big contract in Tanev off your books. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, at the end of the day, th- th- this is a guy that, you know, I think that if they, if exposed Seattle to taken, I think they'd have made him, I think they'd have made him captain. I, mean, I think Jeff Carter would have been captain for a year, closer to home, closer to his family. Uh, I mean, he, he's up for the job and it's going to give Teddy Bluger an opportunity to get a little bit more. You um, maybe test his ability to play up the lineup as a center and learn a little bit more about what his ceiling is uh, obviously coming off of an international experience, which is capped in his country. Um, so that's, you know, uh, you know, look, here's the thing. I don't think this sinks the penguins. I just don't. Um, they're not particularly very good in the early part of the season anyway. Um, this may actually net them better results. This team has a tendency, as we all know, <coughs> excuse me, to tighten up uh, and play uh, perhaps a more north-south simplistic style of hockey in the absence of all of those players. I think we're probably going to get that. Um, that's probably what we'll, the look we'll see right out of the gate. Um, you know, you can't take a player that's been in the league for over a decade and won three cups and been to, you know, multiple finals and won everything there is to win and convince them that hockey in the third week of October means anything, you know, and that's not to say that people aren't trying or saying, but look, I mean, the tempo of the game's different. It's different in October versus what it is in April. And, you know, the penguins aren't a team to me that comes out of the gate like gangbusters every year and, you know, lights the world on fire. They do that at the end of the season. Um, you know, they went on a run last year and won them the division. Uh, so I think it stands the reason that, you know, uh, maybe this year you get a little bit more of a tighter beginning. Well, also for and, well, and it's and, and it's a normal, it's a regular normal full season this year, so they have a little more wiggle room than they did last year. And also, from what we know, it took a lot of maneuvering from Hextall to get Carter to leave LA and come to Pittsburgh. So I do think there was a possibility that had Seattle taken Carter, he would have just retired. So I think this is kind of... I don't think that would have been the case, though. I, I, I don't... 
I don't think that would have been the case. I think he, I think he, I think he, uh, yeah. I mean, because you got to think, Pat, he's going the other direction, right? Like he's going closer to LA. He's going closer to where his family right. is. Such a shorter trip. But I know? think he pro. And I think for him, I think the important thing for Jeff Carter, Pat, is getting paid. I think it's getting the money for the last year of his contract. I don't think he's. I don't think he was going to retire and miss out on that. Yeah, I can see that. But I also think it was a situation of Pittsburgh, L.A., or I'm done. Like either send, like get me back where my family is, or I'll play for the last season under Hextall in Pittsburgh. And I mean, I mean, who that's between him, Hextall, and his family. But you know, there I did see a ton of chatter that if if he if Seattle took him, he might retire. So I think that was also a consideration going into the expansion draft for Hextall and the Penguins. Camp kicks off tomorrow. So, um, you know, I tweeted out today, I think, you know, probably the most interesting thing for me uh, is Sam Polin, Nathan Legere, Philip Hollander. And um, man, people on Twitter love Radim Zahorna. I don't dislike Radim Zahorna. Um, but if you're listing out those four players and asking me uh, who I think could have the biggest impact on the parent club even as early as next year, I'm still putting with Zohorna fourth. It's not a knock so you, on so him. You're telling, so you're telling me the idea of Zohorna is better than the player of Zohorna? I don't I, – I just I guess my question is I don't know what people are enamored with here. You know, is it the size? Is that it? And there's no wrong answer. Again, if, if Radim Zohorna made the, the roster – Right, and played on the fourth and third line right out of the gate. I'm going to be fine with it. like that. To me, is a win. I've, I'm fine with it. I just am shocked by the visceral fan response to Radim Zorna. That has shocked me. I didn't see that coming. I, I think it's because of his name. Possibly, Big Z. You know, people yeah. love a Big Z. These guys looking forward to that Radim Zorna. It's a good. It's a good Pittsburghese name as well, Patrick. You're but, correct. But yeah, I mean, I think the the, the 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 hype over him is he made an impact in his first game and that's always going to get the dander up of the fans they're always going to love a guy who comes in in his first game and scores and makes an impact and all of that and that shine all usually unless your name's Jake Gensel or you're a Sidney Crosby or Mary Lemieux that shine usually wears off pretty quick I will say though, like you know, even in this, you know, granted small sample that we have of his, uh, you know, performance, it didn't look out of place, you know. And, he, and for as big as he is, uh, he can skate, and that's always like, you know, you know me, Pat. That's my baseline, right? Can you skate? Um, he he's got a check box there or check mark next to that box, so fine with me. I just um, I've made it I've made it very clear that, you know, I I think it's Philip Ollander for me. Um, you know, kind of guy that fits nicely into a top six role, kind of guy you could play with Evgeny Malkin. He could play center, pretty important now, given the situation. Um, net front presence on the power play, which they don't really have. So Horner would be a good one, considering his size. But you get the idea. I just think there's too much versatility there for me. Um, I do I do want to make one comment about Nathan Legere, though. This is the kind of situation that's good for him. Like, you know, he, he, he hung around camp a really long time last year uh, and got like this, quote unquote, I guess you could say, like extended look. Uh, he's just not a player for me that is well suited to 
playing with like a bunch of grinders or players that don't have you know, puck distribution or playmaking skills. So I think, you know, there's opportunity, you know, for him to show more than maybe what's on tape for him up to this point. Granted, like he played on a verifiable super team uh, the last couple months of his, you know, Quebec uh, major junior league career with with Sam Poulin and Val d'Or. Um, the Penguins now have three four-year on their team, by the way, Crystal Tang, Sam Poulin, and Nathan Legere. Well, I, the, other, the other thing that I think that this team has been missing a little bit since the back-to-back cup runs is that injection of youth. Not to knock anybody that's been playing the last couple of years, but you think back to 16-17, they brought the kids up and let them play and made them play a role and got them to fit in. And that puts the, that puts the older guys on notice and makes them up their game and just really helps the overall team product on the ice. And not saying these guys will come in and contribute the same way as those guys did in 16-17 because those guys for the most part, have stuck, whether it's here or somewhere else. But it, it it could be a net positive in the sense that these guys can play and they've got that youthful, hey, I want to stick up in the NHL mentality, so they got to put the older guys on notice. It's always good for the wallet, too. The salary cap numbers uh, tend to lean a little easier when you've got those entry-level deals floating around throughout the lineup. Yeah, and I mean, I, like th- those two, Pullen and Legary, are the ones I want to see the most in camp and in preseason. Granted, you, considering the state of the roster right now, we're not going to be able to figure a lot out in preseason. But those are those are two guys that I really want to see if they're ready to make the jump. I'm excited about Brock McGinn. I want to see what Brock McGinn brings. You know, he, I I think that. Uh, I did like the, a little video analysis on the athletic in the summer of them. Yeah, there are without question, I think similarities between, you know, his game and Brandon Tanev's game. But I also think there are certain things that he can do and does that, that maybe Tanev lacked. So um, there's always a question for me is like, can a player play up the, you know, up into that top six, you know, noting that, you know, the penguins are cursed and there's uh, generally a plague or, you know, something that happens through throughout the team you know, every given year. I uh, I want to see if there's potential for him to you know maybe slide up the lineup and fill in, um, you know, if needed up top. I think we'll get a sense of that, you know, throughout the early portion of camp and into the preseason. I mean, the biggest difference I see, and I think you pointed it out in your analysis, is that he has fin- he has better finishing ability, and that's going to be huge. I do think, though, I, I, you know, like I said, I, you know, he's a great skater, good forechecker, very effective in those buckets. Um, but you just lose that physical element. You know, that's really true. Um, not to say you have to have that to be an effective forechecker or to disrupt the play. You know, McGinn can do it without that. But um, there was just a little something, you know, Tanev stirred the drink in a lot of different ways that I think that, that uh, McGinn doesn't. Uh, and the you know, Penguins are going to have to find that. Oh, he had that sheriff's bat. <laughs> True. Uh, Dom Simone's back. Uh, I enjoyed that solely because of just watching the reaction. Just the visceral the, the, reaction. The, the the Dom Simone discourse uh, that I am not excited for, to be honest. Well, I don't know that we're going to see him all that much, to be honest with you. 
I just don't know. I mean, it's a two-way deal, right? Like so. So so, so, so the discord hockey, the discourse. So the discourse will then be Damon Simone should be playing. If he was playing, everything would be fine. I guess that's possible. Yeah. Brian Boyle in town on a PTO. Matt Barkowski in town on a PTO. Um, those are Berkey kind of players, huh? You know? Those are, uh, what's the word? Uh, truculence, right? Yeah. The, I mean, they can both play. They're both, they're both guys. <laughs> <laughs> They have a living pulse. <laughs> they could take minutes. They're. De- I mean, I mean uh, uh, so, so what, what, what? If you could use two words, how else would you describe Matt Barkowski as a hockey player? Other than he's a guy. Oh, that's three words. First of all, so you already a guy. He's a guy. <laughs> um, depth pieces. I'd, I probably would. Yeah, depth piece. Injury insurance. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know if either of them make it out of out of camp. I don't, I don't dislike the Boyle move. I don't think he's bad in the bottom six. He's not, he's not the fastest, but he's a smart hockey player. He's physical. I, I just, I'm, I'm really concerned about the speed, though. Just, he's, he's not slow per se, but. He's also not quick, and I don't know how well that works in a Mike Sullivan system. He's is, he is a center too, right? Center too, right? Yeah, as far as I know. Yeah, so short term depth, they could always wave him if they need to. What are you talking about, Matt Barkowski? Boyle. No, Brian Boyle. Oh, okay, I was oh, sorry. Let's see his defense. Pittsburgh boy, though. Good to see him come home. Yeah. He, he's, quote, from here. Where's he from, actually? Do we know? He's, see his he's hometown. From, oh, he went I to say he's Lebanon. from Lebo, isn't he? Yeah, he went to Mount Lebanon. But, yeah, I mean, he... What's their mascot? And he, and, What's the Mount Lebanon mascot? Oh, I have no idea. Hmm? Blue Devils. Mount Lebanon Blue Devils. That's the that's the ritzy part of town. They don't let me in those parts. <laughs> like a scarlet letter, you can't go in. Get out of here, poor. <laughs> Get out of here, you poor. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Um, <clears throat> I don't ever, you know, I don't. What do you go to Mount Lebanon for? You know, what's up there? No food up there. I want, you know. I'd like to take this time to say sorry to all of our listeners in and around and from Mount Lebanon. <laughs> not hating on it. It's just not a place to spend a lot of time in. Um, just real quickly here, words of note, because um, you know the Metro is always busy. Um, yeah, Zach Parise and Zidane Ochara going to New York Islanders. What year is it? Meme. Uh, New York Rangers uh, go the route of the Tom Wilson response, bring in Ryan Reeves, sign Barclay Goodrow, get tough, right? I was kind of hoping they'd bring Jack Johnson back. They didn't. No, the uh, – has, has he signed anywhere else? No, no he did. I Colorado. I, 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 I didn't I think so. I forgot about that. No, Mike, he signed in Colorado. What's that? He signed in Colorado. Oh. I'm going to tweet Anthony Jones about I, that. It might have been a PTO, but either way, I know he's with Colorado. 
So um, they have Jack Johnson and Eric Johnson. <clears throat> he was Shane Ghost Despair, but now he's Shane Ghost is gone in Philadelphia. I, I don't. I Get don't. <laughs> he was Ghost. Ghost Despair is now he's Ghost is gone. Ghost is no longer here. Uh, Rasmus versus the Linen in Philly. That's, su- that's such a weird move. Like you based Martin Jones in Philly. Weird, weird is a nice way of saying bad. I, I mean, yeah, it's a bad move, just in the sense that if you were going to go get a reclamation project in Ristolainen, just keep Gostaspare. They they've had such an up and down off season. Like for every good move they've made, they've made a bad one to correspond with it. Like getting Ryan Ellis is great, and then they get Ristolainen. I mean, I'm not complaining as a Penguins fan, but they were looking like they were going to build themselves back up and do pretty well, and then they get Martin Jones and Ristolainen, and it's they, they better hope Carter Hart bounces back. Well, we're going to have to cut the Metro Division discussion short here real quick. Dad life calls for Jesse Marshall. He's got to go take care of his child. So to get back into the swing, we're going to drop the beats. Mike's going to shuffle the papers, and we're going to take your correspondences. All right, let's see what we got what here. We, I saw some um, good responses looking through our Twitter, so we got the, the listeners. The listeners are still here, and we appreciate that from you guys. Um, <laughs> where do we want to start? We'll start with Nate asks favorite pumpkin beer and or cider for this upcoming fall season. I'm I have it in the fridge right now. I am a huge fan of Sam Adams Jacko pumpkin. Have not had it. I um I feel like pumpkin is kind of become polarizing. See, but it's one of the see it's one of those things that it's good. But the the discourse about it makes the whole thing annoying. Um, I like the cold pressed coffee version. See the the true elite gamer move for pumpkin is to put cinnamon sugar in a bowl, rim the glass with syrup, put the glass in the bowl on the cinnamon sugar, and then pour the beer in, and it's so good. Yes, yes, yes. Um, e- even without the syrup, the, a lot of places will rim the glass with some cinnamon sugar, and it's it, it makes it a the, lot better. The syrup, like a friend of mine who has worked at just a number of bars, told me he goes, "Telling you don't do water, do syrup. It makes it so much better." And he was not wrong. Yeah. Um, what else we got here? Uh, Justin says, welcome back. Will there be any surprise players that make the opening day roster? And he says he doesn't consider Brian Boyle to be a surprise. I think we kind of went over it. I would be surprised to see Zahorna make it out onto the roster out of camp. I think he starts in the AHL. That said, now with Crosby and Malkin out, it's, I mean, really, it's an open field now. Yeah, I mean, or they could have more injuries three games in and need to call four more guys up. So. Yeah, and I mean, they invited 54 skaters to camp. Yes. So yeah. somebody could show up and have a hell of a camp, and we're suddenly talking about 
God knows who that suddenly decides to have themselves a month in camp and they're on the opening day roster. We've seen it happen before. Yeah. Um, Intelligent Dice asks, and I can't answer this. It says, can the Penguins find a worse logo than the bold Penguins helmet logo? Oh, that, that must, so that must have happened while I was on a mini vacation last week because I have no idea what that means. Yeah, it's, I don't hate it. It's basically, instead of just the PPG logo on the helmet, it's like a brand synergy thing between the Penguins and PPG. I don't dislike it because it is something that both the team and the sponsor worked on to kind of fit it into the uniform rather than just here's our logo, slap it on your helmet regardless of color. It is kind of cheesy, but I would take that over you know, the white helmets just having a blue and white PPG logo that goes completely out of the color scheme. I mean, money pays, so whatever the, whatever the sponsor wants to do. Yeah, and in, in, in a league so. like the NHL, I do not give a damn about jersey sponsors, helmet sponsors. Yeah. It's, it's a league that struggles to produce revenue in a lot of its markets, so anything to up revenue because clearly we're not going to go to any sort of luxury tax cap anytime soon. So whatever lifts the hard cap higher, the better. Yeah. Um, Brad asks, how many games before Brock McGinn is the Yinzer hero that replaces the hole left by Tanev? I say by December. He's going he's gonna to have like a three-point game or something, and people are going to... Yeah, or... Or beat the shit out of somebody and also score a goal and everyone's like, oh my god, I love this guy. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, Jeff asks, and I assume this isn't just related to the Penguins, what was the most underrated hockey headline of the offseason? You know what? It didn't get a lot of play, or at least as much as I thought it would. And we were going to kind of go over it before Jesse had to go. The Devils getting Dougie Hamilton. Like, the de- the yeah. Devils are quietly pretty good. Like, I think there's a real possibility they finish in the top four of the Metro this year. But at the same time, and this isn't to begrudge their roster, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they finished that last again because that's just, it's just the Devils. Yeah, I mean, they got better goaltending. They upgraded on defense. Their forwards are solid. They might uh, they might not finish in the top four, but they're gonna. I think they're gonna be in the conversation. I mean, they they should be a better team, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're also very bad. Yeah, and, and I mean, just because. And the, and the biggest thing with the, the the Dougie Hamilton signing is it's gonna take hard minutes away from PK Subban, and PK Subban can still play, just not top pairing minutes anymore. So you put him in the middle pairing. That's a solid defense. Yeah. Um, D Coulter asks, could you just sort of go over who is even on the team anymore? I have no clue. Yeah, we're working on that too. That'll probably be our next episode where we kind of go through who's. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's kind of it right now. It seems more like who's not on the team than who is on the team. And and I mean, we'll probably do an episode here in the next couple weeks where we kind of do either roster projection or just roster rundown of who's looking good in camp or who we're noticing. So this was more kind of getting ourselves stretched out and reporting to camp this week. Yeah. And, and roster projection is a little hard given the injuries. Yeah. And when you have 60 players showing up to camp. Yeah. 
Morgan asks, Jersey Mike's or Jimmy John's? Jersey Mike's. I have never had either, actually. Well, I'll put it this way. You know how one of the best parts of getting a sub is getting it toasted? Yeah, Jimmy yes. John's is like, no, we're, we're not doing that. Oh, because they're they're all about speed, correct? Yeah. Okay. So so toasting is not an option no, there. No, it is not. Okay. Yeah, I could I could see Jersey Mike's being the choice if you like. Now toasting. a cold sub isn't bad from time to time, but I do no. enjoy having no. the option. Yeah. Uh, Potato asks, should we have traded for Mark Andre Flurry? Oh, I know who this is. It's a burner account. No, we should not have traded for Flurry. Stop it. Okay. Um, Ryan asks, who's this year's Mark Jankowski? He specifies, uh, starts hot, sucks ass, and says his money is on Brock McGinn, but could see it being Danton Heinen. Yeah, Heinen was going to be my answer. Like, I, I don't know a lot about him, and he feels like a depth signing that we have higher hopes for than we should. But given the dollars and term they gave to Brock McGinn, they should hope that if someone's going to suck ass, it's not him. And there's also a lot more body of work for Brock McGinn than there is. Yeah. Not, not body work, proof of concept. I mean, if, if he sucks ass, it's probably going to be a blip more than a consistent thing. Um, Mark asks, how do you think the Penguins should honor Mike Lang this year? Says, I know the press level is already named for him, but what are your ideas of what they should do? There really isn't much. I mean, and that's not to disrespect Mike Lang. He's the voice of my childhood and Penguins fandom. But the press level, like you said, is already named after him. They had a Mike Lang night two years ago, uh, pre-pandemic. And, I mean, there's just not much else you can do for the guy. Like, he, and I don't mean this in a crass way, he fully got himself into Myron Cope territory of it's his job until he retires or dies. And... Yeah, He's, yeah, and, and I mean, they'll, they'll probably have a, an official retirement party of sorts at some game. Yeah, I mean, the guy's already a Hall of Famer. Like, he's a Hall of Famer. The yeah. media level's named yeah. after him. They honored him two years ago. It's it's tough. Uh, you know, you want to roll the red carpet out for the guy because he was the voice of the Penguins forever. But I think they've done it all, and he just wanted to ride off into the sunset. Go out on his terms. And the last one is from David. In the post-Crosby era, would you prefer the Penguins to limp along, supplementing the likes of Jake Gensel, John Marino, and Pierre-Olivier Joseph for another five-ish years, or strip it all down to bare bones and accumulate draft picks? This was one of the ones I thought about uh, for the last day, because I'm, I'm glad you asked this one. Because it's a tough question. One, we don't know when this era is going to end, obviously. Like, it could be three years from now. It could be five years from now. Hell, there's a chance it could be ten years from now. But it's it's really situational. If Gensel's in his late 20s, Rust will obviously be in his 30s. It depends. You know, if if there's a big prospect coming in that you can get in the draft... Tear it down to the studs, and you know I know every I know they're a meme right now, but Toronto did it right when they knew that they needed to rebuild. They stripped that thing down to the studs. They got everybody out. They got draft picks, prospects, tanked for a year, got Matthews. 
build around him with all the young talent. It. Well, I mean, there there was a guy. He I can't remember who it was, but he won like five games in a row as a goalie, and they traded him. Yeah, and it, it really depends too, because like let's say Gensel's only twenty six, twenty seven. You still have Rust, P.O. Joseph comes into his own, a couple other guys come up, you're going to have cap space too. You know, maybe somebody like a Jack Eichel or something is a free agent and you can grab them. It's it's really dependent on the context and the situation. But, I mean, I lean towards strip it down to the studs and start over because it's a lot easier to do that than to try to keep bailing water out as the ship's sinking. Yeah, my only thought is it's also difficult to be realistic with your fan base and tell them you're going to tear it down to nothing and still ask people to shell out dollars to come see the team every every game. Yeah, the other thing that's nice, though, I will say, and I know this is this can be applied to every sport, but you know we see it a lot as as hockey fans and Penguins fans. Hockey fans are hyper-engaged, so they get it. It, it, it. The reason that Toronto fans stuck around, aside from the fact that it's Canada and they could play hockey on Christmas morning at 7 a.m. and sell out, just because that's how popular it is up there, they understood what they were doing. They, they, weren't, they stuck around because they knew there was a plan. They were, they were tearing it down. They were rebuilding they were going for a high draft pick in a year where there was generational talent coming in, so they understood it. It's it's when it's when you become Vancouver that people start to get annoyed, where you're not good enough to contend, but you're not bad enough to rebuild. And the same can kind of be said for Minnesota before Kaprizov came in and lit the world on fire. It's difficult to keep people engaged when you're not planning to get to the point of contention. Well, and and also when when your off-season discussions are talking about how you're going to be really good, but then you're not really good or really bad. Yeah, as much grief as we can give fans for hot takes and overreactions and living and dying with every move and play, fans understand when things are going the way they should be going. Like, if... If a team's really not making moves one way or the other and just trying to be competitive, that's not as exciting. But if a team says, look, we're out of our window, it's time for a rebuild, give us three to five years to get this thing back on track, and then in, and then in year six and seven, we're back in contention. Now, I am I am fully the type of fan who, if for some reason they said Sidney Crosby's out for the rest of the season this year, I would say pack it in, tank. Well, that's Absolutely. that like speaking of, I think that was one of the biggest blunders of the Shiro era. 2011 when Crosby and Malkin were out. They should have should have should have packed just, it in, but at the same time you're two years removed or what? A year and a half removed from the Stanley Cup, so it's it's very easy to say that in hindsight, but good luck convincing anybody who's that close removed to winning the Stanley Cup to pack for it in. For sure. Uh, yeah, like you said, with hindsight. But um, like, just imagine if they go into the 2011 draft with a top 10 pick. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's a difficult question to answer because there's so many different moving parts. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I default to tear it down and, and get get the team. Don't, don't try to extend a window when you can't. 
Yeah. I mean, and, and I think most people realize when, when that's the right move. Definitely. I know what you got. Okay. I think, I think that's all I have. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys listening. As always, we're happy to be back, even if we had to have a dad interlude for Jesse to head out. We're happy to be back. We're going to do this some more as camp goes through and the season gets going. This has been the Dying Alive podcast, season four. We'll talk to you guys soon. Let the crowd be rich, not